You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to Online Calvary, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope you're enjoying day 537 of quarantine here in the People's Republic of America. And so, uh, so well, let me start by telling you this story. It, honestly, it's one of my favorite stories that I tell, and I have to limit myself to only tell it once a year. So if you've heard it before in years past, laugh with your family in the appropriate spots. And if you've never heard it before, this is the first time I'm telling this story. So several years ago, uh, I, had to, I got a notice from my homeowners association that said I needed to pressure clean my driveway. So like I normally do, I wait until the very last day that, or I'm gonna be in violation, and then I try to find somebody. So I'm driving back into my development, and I see someone that lives right down the street from me who had hired someone to pressure clean his driveway. I saw his truck, I pulled over, and I walked up to the guy, and I said, hey, how much do you charge to pressure clean a driveway? My driveway is about this size, so how much do you charge? And the guy did not respond to me at all. He just kind of gave me a weird look, and then I realized, oh man, I'm, he doesn't speak English. So I'm like, oh yeah, caballero. And so I just kind of give him this, you know, I, so I start asking him in Spanish, how to, you know, that I need to pressure clean the driveway, still no response. And then I realize I'm being completely insensitive. The guy's mute. And so I start kind of motioning and using some international language, you know, you pressure clean my drive, anyway. And, and the guy's looking at me and, and then the guy says, this is my driveway. I don't own a company and I'm not coming to your house to clean your driveway. And, and, and then I said, and I don't know why I had to respond to that, but I said, well, what about your truck? Because there was a pressure clean truck uh, right in front of his house. And I said, what about your truck? And the guy says, that's his. Well, I didn't realize that once I drove past the truck and pulled in, you know, pulled up to the guy's house to ask him about the pressure cleaning that during that time, the guy who actually owned the truck had gotten out and while I was having this conversation in three different languages with the guy, the, the guy who owns the truck had started pressure cleaning the house next door. And then I had kind of like the sixth, you know, the end of the sixth sense and Bruce Willis realizes that he's dead. And in and, and that moment, and, and, and I said, oh, okay. Uh, hey, I'm gonna be leaving now and I don't live around here. And so if you see anybody that looks like me, it's not me. And so, and I left never to see or hear from him again. And, and I don't know if you've had moments like that. Well, you probably have never had a moment like that because you're probably smarter than me. But you've had moments where you don't know what the right thing to say is. And where you, you have a moment where you're kind of stuck as to how to respond. And if you're a parent, you've probably had a thousand moments where you've actually said things to your kids that you thought, I never thought I'd actually say those words. A few years ago, we were headed to lunch and my kids weren't listening. And now, just as a general rule, I fear for whatever person gets in between me and my lunch. But I'm telling the kids, I'm hungry and I wanna go and get lunch. And after 15 minutes, the kids finally line up at the door. And my son Xander is wearing roller skates. Livy, my youngest daughter, is wearing Xander's shoes. And my daughter Mia has a bow and arrow 
that she's taking with her. And I said, Xander, normal humans don't wear roller skates to lunch. Livy, your brother's shoes look like skis. Mia, this isn't the movie Brave. You got to leave the bow and arrow. And I, and I tell Carrie, and I said, that is the sentence that I would have least expected in all my life that I would have had to say about arguing with my kids to go anywhere. And, and we've all been in these situations where we're at a loss for words. It happens with kids. It happens with people. Listen, it can even happen when we pray. Sometimes we aren't sure what the right thing to say is, or, or how do you pray the right way and use the right words, and how do we make sure that we're praying for the right thing? And, and, and sometimes it keeps us from coming to God, or worse yet, it makes us feel like somehow God is distant or isn't going to hear us because we aren't saying things in the right way, and, 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 and our circumstances begin to overwhelm us because we feel this distance between us and God. Now, here's the reason why I bring this up, because a couple of weeks ago, we started this series called Viewfinder. And our tagline for the series was the secret weapon to making sense of life. And, and what we've been looking at is recognizing this principle that perspective changes things even when nothing has changed. That it's possible for everything in your life to change, though your circumstance is exactly the same, simply because your perspective is different. And that's what we've been observing in this little Old Testament book that we've been studying, this Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is the prophet and he, in this time, and he's been struggling. And it shouldn't surprise us for a guy who's struggling that the name Habakkuk is a Hebrew word that means to embrace or to wrestle. And he's a guy that's been wrestling with what God is doing around him. And, and the book opens up. And if you missed the previous two messages, uh, here's like, you know, previously on Viewfinder. And if you've been with us, here's like another previously on Viewfinder. And that is the book opens up with Habakkuk praying to God because the people of Judah, that's God's people, uh, that is the people who lived in the southern part of, of, of Israel, that they are disobeying God. They're walking away from God. And he's saying, God, you got to do something. And God says, all right, I'm going to take care of things, but not in the way that I, I would, I, I, you would think that I would. I'm going to blow your mind here. I'm actually going to bring in the Babylonians, and they're going to take Judah captive. Well, Habakkuk freaks out. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I, I know that we're bad, but they're awful. In fact, you should be using us to judge them. And then Habakkuk has this incredible insight, and he says, but I'm going to wait and see what God says. Well, that happens, and then God says, well, I am going to judge the Babylonians as well, but they are going to be the instrument in my hand to do my work with my people in this moment. And so Habakkuk goes from wrestling with God's people's behavior to then wrestling with God's decree about this, and now he's realizing that even though nothing has changed, a change of perspective can change everything. And it's so important for us to see that there are three chapters in this book and there are three perspectives that we can have. And some of us are in the, se the season of wrestling over circumstances that we're seeing and maybe we feel like God seems absent. That's like kind of the chapter one wrestle. Others of us are in chapter two where we've kind of grown past the wrestling piece and now we're in the place of observation. We're in the place of watching and waiting and seeing what God is gonna do in this season of time. And we have this belief that God is working even if we don't see it. But we've got to get to chapter three, and this is what I want to spend some time talking about, where there is joy. You see, it's where I don't view God's love for me based on circumstances. It's where I view my circumstances based on God's love for me. 
And listen, it's a lot easier to say that than it is to live it out, but Habakkuk is gonna show us three shifts in perspective that can transform us. And here's shift number one, if you're a, a note taker, and that is shift number one is to remind yourself of God's past faithfulness. And we're gonna start in Habakkuk chapter three and verse one. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, and I want you to see what Habakkuk is doing in this prayer. He's reminding himself of God's faithfulness. And that's why he starts this way. He says, God, I've heard your speech and I was afraid. All the stuff that God said he was gonna do in chapter one. I heard that and, 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 I, was, and I was afraid. And then he says, revive your work or repeat the work that you did in the past. That's why in verse three, he says, God came from Teman, the holy one from Mount Paran. Now, Mount Paran is another name for Mount Sinai. It's where God made a covenant with the people of Israel. And it's where God gave them the law and then established his promise to them. And they spent 40 years, as you know, walking through the desert because of their disobedience. But here's the thing that Habakkuk is remembering, is that God stayed with them the entire time. That's why at the end of verse 2, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. What I find so interesting is, isn't it fascinating how Habakkuk wanted God to judge? God, at the beginning of the book, he's like, God, I, wrath for the people. And now he's saying, God, I know that you're gonna, there's going to be some discipline. But what I'm praying for is that in, even in the season of discipline, that you'd remember mercy. Because here's the thing that Habakkuk finally discovers. That discipline doesn't mean that God hates his people. Discipline is a sign that he loves them and that they are his people. Throughout 40 years in the wilderness, God disciplined his people many times, but it was always a sign that he loved them, that he was correcting them because he was leading them to a place, a place of blessing that they couldn't even dream of. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says it this way. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplined us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, God disciplines because he loves. And the thing that we're doing that's hurting us, he seeks to correct us and lead us away from it. This is why you discipline your kids, right? This is why you correct your kids. You don't correct other people's kids, right? Because once again, uh, unless you're a maniac, you don't go around telling other people's kids what they're doing. No, you, you discipline your own kids, other people's kids. That's somebody else's problem. And I remember one time when Mia was real young, she was probably about three and so we were playing baseball in the backyard and I, I throw this pitch and Mia just crushes the ball. She's always had excellent hand-eye coordination. She absolutely crushes the ball and then starts running to third base. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I stop, I'm like, no, 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 all wrong. No, 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 you gotta run, Mia, you gotta run to first base, then second, then third. That, that's how we do this, it's counterclockwise. And so, and then Mia says, no dad, this is new baseball. And so we're going to do, and, 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 and I'm, which once again, when you're three, okay. 
But the reality is, in life, that's not the way that it works. You just can't go running any way that you want. And if, and if you don't, listen, if you don't play by the rules, you don't experience the freedom and the fun. And this is exactly what happens. God's people are running all over the place. They're not running to first. And he's saying, he's correcting them, leading them over. And there's a whole bunch of moments in life where we've kind of tried to run to third in life. And it's hurt us. And God loves us too much to turn a blind eye. And that's why his discipline always comes from a place of love. And it changes everything. And this is why, as he's praying this way, he ends the verse uh, when he says that God came from Timon in verse three and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And then there's this little word off to the side, if you're reading it in your Bible, that says Selah. Now, Selah or Selah in Hebrew is a musical term that means stop and reflect. It's like the song is playing and then there's this moment where you stop. It's like stop, hammer time. No, not exactly. But uh, there's this moment that the music stops and it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity to reflect on what's being said. And so Habakkuk then recounts, after you stop in that moment, from uh, the end of verse 3 all the way through verse 15, he recounts the history of God's work throughout the world. And then Habakkuk goes into this second shift, as we see in the the latter verses that we're going to focus on. And this is the one that I think is so powerful. And this is shift number two is to rejoice in spite of circumstances. Now, here's something that we don't understand until we experience it, and that is that we don't appreciate things as they are until they're taken away from us many times, right? Like, you never thought of, like, oh, just going to a restaurant, and now you're like, man, the greatest thing in the world. In fact, everyone I talk to says, what's the first thing, and I'll ask me, what's the first thing you're going to do? Like, I'm going to go to this restaurant. Everybody has said that. That's the thing they're going to do, and, and you, never, you don't even think of it until that is taken away. Why? Because the shift in perspective has changed your surroundings. So, But we've got to rejoice in spite of circumstances. When you're wrestling with God, there has to come a moment that you decide that if God doesn't win this, I'm going to lose. And because the wrestle, the wrestle, the goal of the wrestle is to force you to see things from a new perspective that you never would have considered previously. Uh, A few years ago, my wife sprained her ankle. And I became Mr. Mom for about three months. And I, I was doing everything, right? And, and poor girl, she just couldn't do anything. Uh, but I was, I was cleaning the house, taking care of the kids, tending to my wife who was hurt, and trying to be the pastor and teach here and lead here and all that. My kids were frustrated because I couldn't do everything the way that my wife wanted me to. And, and so now I, I've grown to become a pretty good cook, mostly on the grill and smoking meats and all that stuff. But um, three years ago, I had no clue as to what I was doing. So I decided the first night when I made dinner, I was going to make pasta and red sauce. Now, if I'm being honest, I had to watch a YouTube video about how to boil pasta. And, and now many of you are laughing, but I'm going to tell you what I wanted to know was, do you put the pasta in before the boil or after the boil? And I didn't know that. And honestly, if I were tested right now, I'm not really sure what the answer is right now. But so we're eating all this, we're eating dinner. And my son Xander, who's a pretty encouraging kid, he says to me, he's like, Dad, this isn't that bad. And I'm like, thanks, buddy. Do you want another helping? He's like, absolutely not. And I'm going to be honest, that hurt a little. And, and Livy, uh, my youngest daughter, was uh, telling me that this was awful and that I should try out for the show uh, Worst Cooks in America. She's like, you should try out for Worst Cooks in America. You would win. Which is kind of a weird show because 
technically the people that lose are worse than the people who win, even though they get the title anyway. It, it's, there's a problem in the crowning of being worst cook in America because really the people who lose worst cook in America are worse cooks than the person who wins the worst cook. Anyway, something for you to consider later. Well, anyway, so that Saturday morning, uh, I had been cooking all week, and I decided that Saturday morning I was surprised kids, so I went to Chick-fil-A and got breakfast, and my kids love breakfast at Chick-fil-A. They were so thankful. My daughter Livy hugged me and started to cry simply because I didn't cook. She said, thank you so much. I mean, it, was, it was the weirdest thing. Now, after about four, day, you know, four or five days of this, I'm heading to an appointment. Someone comes over to take care of Carrie and the kids. I'm headed to church for a couple of meetings, and I sit in my car. I take this deep breath, and I called my wife, and, and, and I said to her, and I'm like, I just want to thank you for all that you do. And I had no idea everything that you do um, and your daily investment in our family until I started doing it. Listen, I never... Uh, I, I'd never understood her love for us had I not experienced life through her eyes and wrestled with everything that she was wrestling with. And this is the problem that, that we have, right? Is that we want the result without the struggle. We want the result without the wrestle and that's not the way life works. If you want a mature faith, you have to learn how to look at life from a new perspective. We tend to infer the goodness of God based on our circumstances, and that's only a good strategy if things never go wrong in your life. A mature faith does the opposite. A mature faith interprets circumstances based on God's love for you, not the other way around. And Habakkuk puts it this way in verse 17 when he says this. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. If you pause there and give me your attention. Now, I, I know I haven't seen you guys in a while, but best I can remember, I don't think any of you guys are farmers, all right? And if you are a farmer, throw something in the messages. Give me like a wheat emoji or something if that even exists. But I don't think you guys are farmers, which is kind of tough for us to read the passage, which would have huge application for people that were living in an agrarian society, but not much for us. What Habakkuk names in this, uh, the, especially in the first verse, is six economic, not six economic downturns. These are six economic catastrophes. A fig tree not bearing figs, no grape on the vine, the oil not coming through, um, that is fields not yielding any crops, flocks cut off, that is they're, they're lost, no herd. I mean, this is, this is gone. This is, the, let me interpret this for you for 2020 quarantine language. This is, I got laid off from my job. The stock market has taken such a hit that my 401k has been downgraded to a 301k. That's, that's he says, in, in the middle of all of that, even if all of that happens, I'm still going to rejoice because what Habakkuk is doing is he's saying, I'm not allowing circumstances to paint a picture of who God is. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow the reality of God's love paint a picture of reality. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everything is good. Some things aren't good. Some things 
are horrible. And, and if you're going through a difficult season, you don't have to say that it's good or think that it's spiritual to say, well, you know, everything is awesome, you know? I mean, unless you just watch the Lego movie. But the, the reality is some things aren't awesome. And that doesn't change the person of God. It, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said this. He said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I want you to notice that he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. He says give thanks in all circumstances. Habakkuk says even if everything is falling apart, the fact that it's falling apart isn't good. But what he's saying is, I'm not going to let joy be derived simply from my circumstances. Because I'm recognizing that even though things seem like they're falling apart, that isn't the end of the story. And it's not the end of your story either. Maybe this part of the story is what has to happen to mature your faith so that you can get to the really good part, to the victorious part, to the part where that's the part of the story that you want to tell. But listen, you never know if you give up in the middle of the story. If you give up when things get difficult. And that's what leads to the third shift. And we see it in verse 19. It says this, The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on the high hills. The third shift is moving from knowledge to understanding. From knowledge to understanding. Knowing about God is pretty easy. Honestly, I mean, read the Bible, attend church, read a few books, hop on YouTube and listen to some preachers. And, and that, that part is easy. Knowing God, knowing about God is easy. Really knowing God happens through trust. This is the aha moment for Habakkuk. He realizes that all of this wrestling was part of the plan because it was the only way that he could get to this place. Listen, most of us want to have a Habakkuk 3 kind of faith, that even if everything falls apart, I'm still going to trust. The tr one that trusts and believes and takes steps of faith because we've experienced the goodness and faithfulness of God. But listen, that kind of faith only comes through having a Habakkuk chapter 1 type of question that causes a wrestling, and then having a Habakkuk 2 season of waiting that leads to then a Habakkuk 3 mature type of faith. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he said it this way in Philippians 3. He said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I'm willing to give up anything and everything if it means really knowing God. Because there are some things that you can only learn about God by experiencing the power of the resurrection in your life. These are the high points, the victories, the times where, man, we just came out on top, things worked out. And then there are these other moments that you will only learn who God is through experiencing the fellowship of his suffering. 
the moments of difficulty and hurt because there's something that happens in you when you trust God because he is the only person you can trust in. It changes you. It matures you. You see, those things in my life that have been so painful that I would never wish on anyone, I also recognize that I would have been lost without them because those were the moments that I really started to know God. You see, it's in the fellowship of his suffering that an unshakable faith is born. And when we decide that we're going to trust God anyway, that we're going to believe anyway, that we're going to decide that, hey, God is working even if I don't see it. Even if everything falls apart, I'm still going to trust him. That is a faith. That's unshakable. That's a faith that's going to endure. That, that is a faith that cannot be undone. But I want you to know something. Whether you find yourself in chapter one or chapter two and you're saying, I, I want to get to three. I want to get there, but I'm not there. Can I just tell you something and encourage you that, listen, God hasn't forgotten you, that he loves you, that if you've ever wondered whether does he really love me, that, listen, the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection is proof that he loves you. Because even before you were trying to serve God, he decided to die for you and love you. That listen, God's dream is to give you a life that's filled with future and hope. God wants you to know him, not just know about him. That is intellectually understanding that there is a God who created everything, but knowing him personally, that he wants to know you personally, that he wants to walk with you in your life. And that's the offer that he makes to us that no matter what comes into our lives, we can experience his love, his grace, and be filled with faith and with hope. And when we do, all of life now becomes to open up because the purpose of the difficulty comes into focus. And that all of this was simply to turn us into the person that he created us to be. That we might have a Habakkuk 3 type of faith, a faith that's unshakable. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that very reality that you are transforming us. You're changing us each and every day through every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in. God, our hope is that we would allow you to do the work and not fight against it. Even when we wrestle, God, we're seeking to know you more. We're just seeking to understand, and so we just pray that you'd help us even in that, that in the end, we'd be more like you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.